Thank you so much for being a part of our 700th Sunday as a church. Some of you in this room right now, we're here for number one. Some of you watching online, we're here for number one. You've been around since the very beginning when we had upper room meetings over at First Baptist Rio Rancho. You were here for spring training that got us kicked off before we actually kicked off. And then that first Sunday at Sandia Vista Elementary School back in 2010. Our first meeting at Cleveland High School, as well as our largest attendance to date when we met in the Performing Arts Center at Cleveland High School for Easter back in 2012. Many of you have been with us through the ups. Many of you have been with us through the downs. And many of you have got through COVID with us. Because that was a big mess for a lot of churches. And I'm thankful that it wasn't for us. We've seen God do some amazing things in the past 13 and a half years. And I want to say that I personally am grateful for it. I'm grateful for it because it has affected me and helped me grow. It has affected my family and helped my family grow. And it has affected our church and watched our church grow. All physically as well as spiritually. So I want to thank you for that. But here's what I want you to know today. As much time as we could spend reflecting on the past, I want you to know that we're not done. We are not done. As a matter of fact, in my mind, we are just beginning. We're just getting started. I know plenty of churches who hit a place in their church where they say, you know what, we've done pretty good. And then they sit back and they, they rest on the things that they've done. And before they know it, the death of their church is on the horizon because they have failed to continue to move forward. They failed to continue to follow after God and they've rested on their own accomplishments. And I want to tell you this right now, I never want that to be the case for Paragon Church. I always want to be moving forward. We talked about it two weeks ago. As we finished up Ephesians, we said life is war. We are in a fight. And in God's plan, there is no retreat and there is no surrender. As the graphic that you've seen around the church for the last couple of weeks, and it's going to be on the screen behind me, We need to burn the ships. Burn the ships. Burn the ships is a term that's been coined for an all-in mentality. As a matter of fact, if you were at Cleveland with us, you might remember we did a whole series on going all-in. But the all-in mentality is this. And the burn the ships story is this. Actually, it's got some different origins. It's a bit unclear. But what it is, there's different accounts of different ship commanders doing this. The most famous one, the one that most people know about, is from a Spanish explorer named Hernan Cortez. And in 1518, Cortez was ordered to actually explore the interior of Mexico, to leave Spain and go explore the interior of Mexico. And at the last minute, his orders were actually canceled. But Cortez ignored those orders and went to Mexico to conquer the Aztec nation. On February 19, 1519, Cortez set sail for Mexico with an entourage of 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 men. The indigenous Aztec population at that time of his arrival was approximately 5 million. So when you stop just from a purely mathematical standpoint, odds were stacked against him of a ratio of 7,541 to 1. You'd think that would spell doom for the expedition on top of the fact that two other explorers had tried to make a settlement in the new world and had failed. But 
The thing about Cortez is he ended up conquering much of Mexico and into the South American continent. What Cortez is reportedly to have done after landing in Mexico is an epic tale of mythical proportions. He issued an order that turned his mission into an all-or-nothing proposition. That order? Burn the ships. Burn the ships. Now, some accounts actually said dismantle the ships, but that's not quite as cool. So we're going to stick with burn the ships and dead men tell no tales. So here we are, all right? According to the story, according to legend, his crew watched their fleet of ships burn and sink, and they came to the realization, they, they came to the terms of the fact that retreat was no longer an option. Retreat was no longer an option. If you can get past that moral struggle that, that some people have with colonization, there's a lesson to be learned. And that lesson is this. Nine times out of ten, failure is, is resorting to plan B when plan A gets too risky, too costly, and too difficult. We go to plan B because it's easier. Honestly, what it is is retreat is easy, or maybe even the word inevitable, when you keep it as an option. Retreat is easy when you keep it as an option. And if you're serious about moving forward, if you're serious about making a change in your life, if you're serious about chasing after something that you find important, breaking any habit maybe, then you don't let that old habit or old options lie around. You don't have a fallback. Because if you do, you're going to fail. Plain and simple. You will fail if you leave any room for plan B that is easier and more comfortable than plan A. You will eventually choose it. You can't have a plan B. The problem is, is most people live in their plan B. They didn't burn the ships. Plan A people, they don't have a plan B. They don't have a, a fallback. It's plan A or bust. They would rather crash and burn chasing after God's ordained dreams in their life than to settle for anything less or to even succeed at anything less. In the spiritual realm, there comes a time when you and I must decide to burn the ships. During those times, we make a commitment to go forward with Christ. During those times, we make a commitment to live for God. During those times, we decide that the faith that we have in Jesus is worth the effort. That is how we move forward. And normally when I put together a message, I start with a passage and build an application out of it. That's what we did for the entire, basically first half of this year by going through the book of Ephesians. You take Ephesians, you see what it says, you make an application out of it. But today, what I would call a standalone message because we start James next week, this standalone message is one that is built for a specific Sunday. So I actually took the term build the or burn the ships and said, is there anything in the Bible that could tie to that? Is there anything in the Bible that they could work into that? And guess what? I found all sorts of all-in challenges throughout the Bible. Choosing to burn the ships and to follow God or to take the other option and sit comfortably in your old way of life and missing out on what God has called you to do. The Bible's full of them and one of my favorites is the book of 1 Kings, or it's found in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17 verse, uh, through chapter 19. And it's the story of Elijah. And I'm not going to get into the story, but I would encourage you to take some time and read those three chapters. It's him standing up for God against all the world, against all of Israel, against, um, you know, you, you have King Ahab, and you have Jezebel, and you have the prophets of 
Asherah, and you have the prophets of Baal. And he's standing up against all of them, and this whole thing comes to a climactic challenge of, of choose. Choose to burn the ships or choose to follow your own thing. As a matter of fact, this is what it says in 1 Kings 18, 21. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him, but if Baal, follow Him. What's the Baal in your life? What is that other God that we are chasing after that is causing us to sit back? Now, there's something else important I want you to see in this verse because what it says next, it says, but the people didn't answer him a word. They stayed silent. They didn't respond. They didn't respond to the challenge because they were stuck in neutral. They were in the neutral zone. They were happy where they were. They could follow God when they needed to and when it would benefit them. And they could follow their own little G-God or themselves when it was beneficial to them there. That's not what God's called us to. That is not what God's called us to and He called them to. There's another story about burning the ships that's found in the same book. End of 1 Kings 19. It's where Elisha or Elijah is an, or called by God to anoint a guy named Elisha to become a prophet. And in it, he literally does some burning. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. It says, Elijah left there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, as he was plowing. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and he went with the twelfth team. Elijah walked by and threw his mantle over him. Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah, and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Go back, he replied, for what have I done to you? So he turned back from following him. He took a team of oxen, and he slaughtered them. With the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. He left, followed Elijah, and served him. Burn the ships. That's precisely what Elisha did when he turned his plowing equipment into kindling for a barbecue. It was his last supper. He was saying goodbye to his old way of life by throwing a party for his friends. They probably shared a meal. They probably shared stories about what it was. And then he moved forward. And the thing is, is the biggest part about all of this is that bonfire that set it up. It made the most meaningful and memorable night of his life. Why? Because it symbolized the burning of the old life, of the getting rid of the old life. When that plowing equipment was gone, guess what? He couldn't go back to it. There was no falling back on my old way of life. He destroyed those tools that would take him back. So he's no longer Elisha the farmer. He is now Elisha the prophet. I want you to stop and think about the thing, symbolism here too of what Elisha did. Because what he did is he literally cooked his old way of life and then he ate it. And, if you forgive me for taking this analogy too far, after digesting it, he got it out of his system. It was passed. He eliminated the possibility of going back to farming by eating his own oxen and burning those plowing equipment. Now, jump over to the New Testament. And you'll look in the, bo in the book of Acts, and you'll see in chapter 19, there is a literal burning of the ships here as well. Because a group of guys that we know as the seven sons of Sceva going to do some amazing things they think because God is doing amazing things through Paul and they thought they would just jump on the coattails do me a favor if you're in Acts chapter 19 look at verse 11 it says God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even the face cloths of an apron 
that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left him and the evil spirits came out of them. That kind of sets the groundwork. Verse 13, Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by Jesus that Paul preaches. Now there's a whole message in that by itself, by the way, and we'll get to it another time. But it says the seven sons of Sceva, Jewish priests, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, prevailed against them, so they ran out of that house naked and wounded. Verse 17 says, When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated the value and they found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. They basically lit up 50,000 pieces of silver. And you might be looking at that going, well, what does that mean? Well, a piece of silver was roughly a day's wage. And 50,000 would equal out to about 138 years worth of wages. Now, if you're talking minimum wage, right now, 725, you take out a quarter of that for taxes... We'll get into that another time. Um, you can look and we'll just say $7 an hour. This is minimum wage, 40 hours a week, $280 a week. You go through that and you go times 138 years. You know what you have? Over $2 million that they lit up. They could have sold that stuff. They could have used that money for other things. They, they could have kept it as an option to go back to because they knew who they sold that stuff to. But no, they burned it because there was no turning back. When you stop and look at that, you go, oh, they, they just lit it all up. And these are just a, a couple of stories of all these people burning the things that they could go back to, going all in and burning the ships. But you know where the greatest challenges I found came from? The mouth of Jesus himself. The mouth of Jesus himself. You've probably heard me use this verse. It's recorded in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I say it often, but this is one that you probably should always hold on to. Jesus then said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. Burn that old way of life. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 goes into a bit more detail with it. It says, then Jesus said to him, to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Maybe your translation says soul. Or will, what will it get anyone give in exchange for his life or soul? In the story that I mentioned up front, Cortez burned the ships and the crew had no choice but to follow their leader if they were going to succeed. Jesus, our commander, calls us to make that decision for ourselves. He won't make it for us and we need to determine if we're ready to take on that challenge. That's today. Making commitment like this would show how serious we are at leaving our old behind and embracing the new. There are moments in life when we need to burn the ships that we need to burn the ships to our past, that old way of life. We do so by making a defining decision. 
that will eliminate the possibility of sailing back to that old world, sailing back to that old life that we left behind. Maybe you burn the ships called past failure. Maybe it's past success. Because you know why we burn those? Because it's tough to see clearly forward when we're always looking in the rearview mirror. You burn the ships named bad habit. You burn the ships named regret. You burn the ship named guilt. You burn the ship named pride. All of those things are our old ways of life. And the old is gone. We need to let the new come. The new that lies ahead. We need to chase after that. Paul might say something about that in 2 Corinthians. You might want to check that out. Honestly, there are a lot of ships that we need to burn. But as I take a look at the words of Jesus, there are three in particular that I think we all need to burn as Jesus challenges us. And the first one here, as I pull out my mast, the first one here we have today is the ship of excuses. It is excuses. And as we look at the excuses that we have, excuses have a tendency to hold us back. And you've probably heard me say this well over 700 times over the last 700 Sundays. But in my life, I am the best salesman in this room. In your life, you are the best salesman in this room. You can convince yourself to do anything that you want. And you can also talk yourself out of doing anything you want to or don't want to do as well. And as we begin to look at that, I bet you can come up with any excuse for anything that I say. Let me, let me just give you a little test. Matt, why didn't you blank? Well, it's because blank. And you know the routine. You, you can fill in those blanks. Matt, why didn't you follow through on that diet? Diet. Well, because I like cheeseburgers and sugar. Okay, th- th- that's my fallback. Uh, Matt, why didn't you do the work that was assigned? Well, because in my mind, there was something that was more important, like sleep or play video games or watch TV or I don't have to give you the excuses because my guess is they already popped in your head if somebody were to say that to you. We can make it more applicable to today, to more appropriate to our current setting. Why don't you go to church? Why don't you serve? Why don't you give? Why don't you join a connection group? Why have you not been baptized? I mean, those, those are real questions that need to be asked among the church Bodies. As a matter of fact, if you ever come to membership class, we talk about that when we talk about them with our core values. Let me run through them for you really quick. One of our core values is save people, serve people. Why aren't you serving? Why aren't you serving? Found people, find people. Why are you not sharing the gospel? As I say it, are there excuses popping into your head? Because my guess is there are. Because I have excuses popping into my head on why I don't share the gospel. And I have excuses popping in my head on why I'm not serving more. I can't outgive God. Then why aren't you giving? I can't do life alone. Why aren't you at the church? Why aren't you in a connection group? Why aren't you plugged in? Growing people change. Why aren't you discipling? Why aren't you being discipled? Why are you not in the word regularly? See, those are tough questions that need to be asked, but when you hear them, you immediately do what? You come up with an excuse. 
And the reason why, whether it's giving or going or serving or sharing, we have an excuse, even if we want to do it. Even if that's something that we want to do, we still have that fallback plan. We still have plan B in case we don't want to. But here's the question that I have for you today. Do you have one reason that will trump every excuse that you come up with? Just give you a little hint, that reason should be Jesus. Because until you have that one reason, excuses will dominate your life. The life that God has called you to. Remember what I said up front, retreat is easy or maybe inevitable when you keep it an option. And when you think about Jesus, what does he have to say about excuses? Well, do me a favor, go over to Matthew chapter 8 with me. Matthew chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. And actually, uh, I'm going to tell you here right now as you're going there, the guy who makes an excuse has a much better excuse than any excuse that I've ever made. But I'm going to give you a little bit of the context by reading in verse 18. So if you're there, Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18, Jesus says, uh, says, when Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Have we ever said that to Jesus? Jesus turns to him and says this, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lie his head. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, basically, really, do you actually know the cost of what you are giving up to actually follow me? That's just a simple question he asked there, and that leads into the one that I want to look at today. Verse 21, Lord, another one of his disciples said, and realize this, this is a disciple. I want to follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And I want to pause right there, because this doesn't sound like a really big deal to any of us. But that but right there to say, hey, I want to go bury my father, it's a big one. And why is it a big one? Because for a Jew in that culture, burying your father was one of the, if not the most important sacred duty you had as a son. It was a greater duty than offering sacrifices or prayer or even fasting. And like so many other of the Jewish traditions, this is what you had to do. And this is how Jesus responds to him. He says this in verse 22, but Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, sometimes we read a passage and we go, hmm, all right, and we move on. But here's the thing that I want you to understand. I don't want to move on from this because what Jesus says here has been said by some commentators to be the most offensive thing that he says in his entire ministry. You're like, wait a second, how could that be offensive? Well, either A, the guy's dad isn't dead yet, or B, he has died, but the disciple is still in what we call a year of mourning period. And the year of mourning period is you bury the body and then a year later you dig up, you take the bones and you place them where they're supposed to go. So that year of mourning is a long, obviously, time. I say that because you didn't, you, you buried the body on that day. So it wasn't like, hey, Jesus, give me a second. I'm going to go dig a hole. I'm going to throw my dad in and I'm going to come back. That was not the conversation that was taking place. It was a long, drawn-out excuse. It was a, well... He's not dead yet, so I have to wait till he dies so I can bury him and then do the year of mourning. Or he's in the midst of the year of mourning, so he has a long time. What happens when you have one long excuse? When it comes to the end, guess what you do? You make a new excuse. This guy, Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. If you want to follow me, let it go. Let it go. 
Jesus says, nope, today is the day. Today is the day that you're going to follow me. Burn the ship of excuses. Guess what? He says the same thing to us. Burn the ship of excuses. Second ship that we have here is our loyalties. Where does your ultimate loyalty lie? Where does your ultimate loyalty lie? That is a a great question. What determines the direction of your life? Or who determines the direction of your life? Who or what steers the ship? Who determines the next step? Who or what are you most passionately connected to? If your answer isn't always Jesus, you've got a ship to burn. Hear this. I'm not saying you need to hate everybody. I'm not saying you need to abandon everyone and live off the grid somewhere without any outside influence, even though some of you are like, oh, I would actually prefer that right now. But I am asking you this. What does your ultimate loyalty lie with? Is it in Jesus or is it in your parents? Is it in Jesus or is it in your girlfriend, boyfriend, or spouse? Is it in Jesus or is it in your feelings? Is it in Jesus or who? This one's a tough one. Is it in your kids? Who is determining the direction of your life? You want to go back to Ephesians that we talked about for so long? Who is determining how you walk? And, and who or what is your excuse for not following Christ to the fullest? Jesus asks the same thing. And as we look at when he asks the same thing, here's something we need to understand in this passage. Again, like the last one, the Jewish culture was different. And when he says what he says next, he, we have to remember, the family was much more connected than the family is today. You have to remember that multiple generations lived under the same roof, and that roof wasn't a five-bedroom, 3,000-square-foot house. There was a bunch of people packed in real close. They were connected. They knew each other's business. And this is what Jesus says when he says, I want you to think about the loyalties. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even ask. He pretty much says, the one who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew ten thirty seven. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it and anyone who loses his life because of me We'll find it. Those are some powerful words about loyalty. Ultimately, where do your loyalties lie? And I use that word ultimately, because again, you don't have to hate everybody, but you do need to love Jesus most and first. Who or what ultimately determines the direction of your life? Who or what ultimately is in control? If it's not Jesus, we need to burn the ship. So we have excuses, we have loyalties, and we have one more ship. The ship that is probably the most difficult to burn. At least it is for me. Those other ones aren't easy, but this one is the most difficult. And I'm not sure if you can see what it says, but it says the word control. Control. It is so difficult to give up control. I've got this. I I can do it. I don't need your help. We want to control our own destiny. Why do we want that? Because the world's been feeding that to us our whole lives. Really, it's been since the very beginning. I mean, when you stop and think about it, what was the temptation that caused the fall of man? Satan played on the pride of humanity, and he convinced Eve that she could be like God. She wanted control. She wanted to be on the throne of her own life. She wanted to be the one that determined 
the next direction. She wanted to be the one that determined what excuses were valid and what excuses were not. She wanted to be the one who determined where her loyalties would be at. And guess what? We followed suit. We do the same thing. We want control. And we don't just want control. We demand control. We demand that God give us what we deserve. Are you ever glad that He doesn't give us what we deserve? We want to be our own authority. And we want to control our own destiny. But here's the bottom line truth, and I can't word it any other way. Sometimes you guys are like, man, that was right to the point. This one's going to be right to the point. You cannot have control of your life and call Jesus Lord at the same time. You cannot have control of your life and call Jesus Lord at the same time. Because there's going to only be one person sitting on the throne. It's either you or Jesus. Go back to those first commands in Luke 9 and Luke, uh, Matthew 16, where he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a one-way journey. It's a one-way journey to the death of self, and it's the only way journey to life eternal. It's a one-way journey to death itself and the only way journey to life eternal. So what are the areas of control that we struggle with? I'm just going to give you a couple ideas. My guess is you already know. We struggle with control of taking care of myself, of my family, of my stuff. I got a job, I've got money, I've got it taken care of. But the question is, do you? Do you? We struggle with control of relationships. One of the excuses I find that people use but rarely actually share on why they don't get connected in a church and why they don't get connected deeper than just a surface connection is this. Relationships are hard. Relationships are messy. But the biggest thing is, is relationships are hard to control. I can't control what somebody says about me. I can't control about how somebody acts towards me. What if I get too deep with them? What if I get too connected? So you know what we do? We just don't do those ships, those relationships. We keep our distance. So the question is, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is he really in control? If he is not, we've got to burn the ships of control. We've got to burn the ships of loyalties. We've got to burn the ships of excuses. We've got to let them all go. They've got to go. We've got to burn the ships. The question is, is will we? Will we burn those ships? I promise it's all good. There's a little bit of smoke coming from that one right there, but it's at least not the one on the carpet, okay? There's one more phrase I want you to hold on to for me. One more phrase that goes with the idea of burn the ships. And if you're on our Facebook and Instagram pages, you may have seen this this week, but it was this. It was cross the Rubicon. And it has nothing to do with Jeep, by the way, in case you're wondering. I know, we got our Jeep families over here. It has nothing to do with the Jeep. What it does have to do with is this. Let me tell you the story. He reigned in his horses and he stood in his chariot gazing at an ancient bridge over a small river. It was a Saturday near Rimini in northern Italy. The river was a little bit more than just a muddy creek, and Rimini only an obscure village. But the history of the whole western world hung in the balances on that January day. The year was 49 B.C., the river, Rubicon. The man, Julius Caesar. With his 13th legion, Caesar had conquered all of Gaul, which is modern-day France. Jealous of his success, 
and fearful of his popularity, his arch-rival Pompey and the Roman Senate ordered him to disband the legion and come home. Now with his troops, he stood on the banks of the Rubicon. Roman law strictly forbade any commander to lead a standing armor across this particular stream. If Caesar crossed the Rubicon, it was an act of treason. Both he and his men would become outlaws, and he would be hunted down and executed. Caesar paused for a moment. Then he made his decision. He cried out these words, The die is cast. He laid his whip to the team, plunged his chariots across the bridge, and led his men onto Rome. They seized control of the government, and guess what? The rest is history. Cross the Rubicon since that day means to make a huge decision that affects all of life. A decision from which there is no retreat. You go past the point of return. There's no going back. But guess what? Centuries before Caesar ever did this, the Bible tells us about a guy named Joshua who crossed the Rubicon of his own on the map of his own life. It's another one of those amazing laying down the gauntlet choice stories. Joshua 24, Joshua's speech at Shechem is recorded as he recounted God's mercies to Israel. Then he ends with a passionate appeal. Appeal to the nation to choose once and all for all whom they would serve. My guess is, is some of you have this verse hanging in your house. He said, you've wavered on and off and on and off and on and off long enough, but now, today, right now, all at once, this one time, you need to decide. And he proudly declares in his own life, in his own family, what's he say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was laying down the gauntlet. That was the choice. So again, I have a question for you. One that I've asked multiple times today. One I've asked multiple times over the last 700 Sundays is this. Who is the Lord of your life? Who is in control? As God wants to lead you into a greater relationship and greater dependence on Him, are you giving it to Him? What options for retreat have you left open? What excuses are you holding on to? What control are you holding on to? What loyalties are you holding on to that are keeping you back from following Christ? We've got to burn the ships. We've got to have no, re no retreat, no surrender mentality, not looking back. Jesus says, go all in. I'm going to wrap up with this. It's a statement written that is now called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. It was written by a Zimbabwean pastor over a century ago before they killed him for his faith. He became a martyr because of it. But this is the words, a young man that wrote a declaration that I would love for you to see. It'll be on the screen behind me as I go. It says this, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. Where have you heard that before? I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sidewalking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame vision, world talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow and rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought. 
compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, delayed. I will not finish and flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of my enemies, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up because of the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing because my banner will be clear. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the cost. It's a requirement that those who would follow God completely, this is where we go all in, and those who want to live an extraordinary life for Christ, Christ need to burn the ships. So let's cry out today that I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed and let's go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for your constant mercy when we rely on those excuses, when we rely on our loyalties, when we rely on being in control. Thank you for your mercy in that. But God, the challenge today that you have laid out before us. And it's not just for the 700th Sunday. It's for the 800th and 900th and every Sunday in between and every Sunday after that we burn the ships and we go all in and follow you. God, we want this church to glorify you in all that we do, but sometimes our excuses get in the way. May we throw those excuses aside. May we lay our loyalties and what determines our life aside and chase and hold after you. May we, God, Give up our control and make you the Lord of our lives. That is our prayer today. May you hear it and please, God, answer it. We pray it all in your name. Amen.